Here's what I want to do. Um, We're in the middle of a series on hospitality. And I'm going to start off, I'm just going to set us up with the beginning of what I prepared uh, for today's message to, to frame where we're really going to go today. Because we can't get through this weekend without addressing what took place in our nation this week. We as a nation are unraveling or we're being threatened to unravel and become undone. But the Lord is up to something. And if we will listen and if we will find the courage to be the church that he has called us to be in our culture, in our community and in our nation, then God will be glorified and he's going to do something that has not yet been done in America or in the world. Um, I want to start off with an editorial piece. Don't worry, it's not inflammatory language, stuff that we read on Facebook. This is uh, from uh, Rick Wood, the editor of Missionary Frontiers, Mission Frontiers uh, magazine, and he just talks about this whole idea of hospitality to a specific group of people that we have the opportunity to reach. From the time of the fall, God has been working to reconcile a lost world to himself and to restore us in relationship with one another. He made a a promise to Abraham when he said, and through you, all the families of the earth, all of the peoples of the earth will be blessed. We see the ultimate fulfillment of this promise to Abraham in the book of Revelation. There are two passages specifically, Revelation 5.9 and Revelation 7.9. And they speak to the fact that in the kingdom to come, when we enter into eternity, Every knee will bow to Jesus. John was given a vision, and he saw people from every tongue, tribe, nation, and people. Every every conceivable ethnicity was represented around the throne, giving glory to the God who created all of us. In the new heavens and the new earth that God will one day create, every people group of humanity will be there worshiping God in all of their uniqueness. The kingdoms of this earth then become the kingdom of our Father. Now, what Wood says is, throughout history, God has been moving things to this end, to take the gospel from where it isn't to where, from where it is to where it isn't yet. Because from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. And God is on mission for all people to hear of him, to return the glory, the praise that he is due. And he will not be satisfied. He will not come back and wrap this all up until every nation, every people group has had an opportunity to hear. Now today, more people are traveling more widely and freely than ever before. Never in history has it been easier to communicate the gospel to those from unreached people groups, while you just heard about how Chinese folks are able to come and to hear the gospel and to take it back and to speak to their families about the gospel of Christ. God has brought these people here so we can easily reach them. This trend is only accelerating. The mission field is our doorsteps, is at our doorsteps. The question is whether we will open our doors, welcome them in, in Christian hospitality, and share the good news of Christ with them. Now, back in 1948, there was a gentleman who came to the United States of America, and instead of receiving Christian hospitality from our so-called Christian nation, he was rebuffed. His name, Saeed Kuteb. And instead of experiencing friendship 
hospitality, and the love of Christ, he experienced racial prejudice in a culturally insensitive church. He returned to his home country of Egypt more anti-Western and radicalized than before. Saeed Kuteb went on to develop the ideological foundation for Islamist movements such as the Muslim Brotherhood. A guy by the name of Osama bin Laden studied Kuteb's works. And he, that laid the foundation, the basis for bin Laden to create Al-Qaeda. Now, Rick Wood, in his article, he asked this question, could well-trained Jesus followers reaching out to this visitor from Egypt, Saeed, with love, respect, and the gospel of Christ, could it have made a difference in the direction of Saeed's life and ours? Maybe, maybe not. But we do know what happened to his life when they did not. Now, that's 1948. This is our day. This is our time. And the Lord is calling us to be a people of hospitality to those who are very different than we are. Far too many international students come to the United States and return home never having been invited into an American's home. What would it take for us to open our doors and to spread a table and to serve cookies as dessert? Say, listen, you're a part of us. We just want to get to know you, let you get to know who we are. What would that do for international relations? Now, that was the beginning of the prepared message that I was going to bring this morning, but everything that's happened this week has been heavy on my heart as it's been on your heart. And there's a part of me and a part of you that just gets fatigued with all that we're reading and seeing on the videos every day this past week about what happened in Louisiana, what happened in Minnesota, what took place in Dallas. And then this morning I read of different um, protests that are taking place in various cities like Atlanta and Miami and Fort Lauderdale and Washington, D.C. And they're standing against the state troopers and shutting down highways in the hundreds as they gather. We we have a tendency or a, a desire to take a break from all of that. Get on a plane and fly to Hawaii or something. That would be nice. Let's just get away from all of this that's happening. But you know, friends, not everybody has that luxury because that's an everyday reality for some people who are Americans. My brothers and sisters, your brothers and sisters who are from a different ethnicity, they're from a minority, not a majority of the population. I feel safe with our police force. I, I think that they're set up to protect us, to come to our aid, and I personally know and have friends who are police officers, and I thank God for them. And in, in a moment, we're going to spend some time praying for our police officers, for our uh, emergency responders, people who put their lives on the line every single day when they, they say goodbye to their wife or to their husband and to their children, not knowing whether this might be a day that they don't come home because of a routine traffic stop, for example. I thank God for the police, and in fact, this week, we called in the police. Let me just take a little side note here. Um, We have a couple of ladies who are sent by an agency to clean this church throughout the week. They work Monday through Friday, typically 9.15, 9.30 at night to about midnight. Sometimes they don't get home till 1. And I learned this week that they went to their boss and they said, we can't do this any longer. And he said, what's going on? And they said, we're feeling harassed. Now, they, it's an African-American mother and daughter 
who are with this agency, and they come out here. And so we came down here, uh, Ray Merrill, our facilities guy, and I came down here uh, on Thursday night to meet with them and to say, tell us what's going on. This is the first that we've heard this. And they talked about cars that are coming in during this time, and sometimes the car will come up behind their parked car as though to block them in, at least to intimidate them. Because sometimes they'll come out and they'll say, hey, what's going on? And they'll give some words and then they'll zoom off. Now, these ladies, they don't know our church, and they fear that this church is the ones that are coming out here on the night times. And I try to assure them the best I can, but I'm dealing with perceptions, and they don't know this church as I know this church. But I said to them that that is not acceptable. That is not tolerated. This is the house of God. This is the people of God. And you cannot be made to feel unsafe in cleaning the house of God. We tried to get them, could you come in the daytime? You don't have to come at night. And their schedules won't allow them. And the boss was ready to just pull them and to bring somebody else in. And I said, before you do that, let's get some police presence out here. So we've stepped up the police presence. And they're going to come out here at least for two weeks, maybe three weeks, every single night during the time that they're here. Um, we've got people in our church who said, hey, I want to be a part of that. I want to come over there and to assure them that that's not who we are. And we will not tolerate that kind of behavior. I believe it's probably somebody in the neighborhood, somebody who drives around here to get some kind of Wi-Fi. They get free Wi-Fi because we have a guest account here at nighttime. And here, by the way, they can scare some ladies. That is not tolerable. I believe in our police, but not everybody does. Not everybody feels protected by our uniformed officers. For many who feel profiled and who can testify of being treated very differently than middle-class white Americans, Okay? Instead of being at ease around the police, you feel nervous, you feel scared, wondering whether the authority and the, the power that the police force wields will be abused against you. And today you fear for your lives. Will I be next? Will what happened to Alton Sterling and Philando Castile happen to my son, to my brother, my daddy? And that, frankly, is terrifying. And not everybody can relate to that. Not everybody wakes up wondering about that. We are certainly being tested, aren't we? As a nation, we are undergoing some severe trials right now, which threaten to bring us down, to destroy us from within. It has been quoted by, uh, the quote has been attributed to Abraham Lincoln. I don't know if he said this or not, but I've seen this. America will never be destroyed from the outside. If we falter and lose our freedoms, it will be because we destroyed ourselves. We have been tested from every conceivable outside force in the past. And what do we do? We band together as Americans and as Christ followers. And we, we, we fight that. We, we work very hard to defend our freedoms and defend our people. It's not easy. Each time extremists attack America, we band together against senseless violence, against ideological killings and attacks. And it's not easy. It's messy. We understand that. We're learning through the mess to sift out Islamist terrorists from the great majority of Muslim adherents who that's not their philosophy. That's not their, um, their plot to overtake the world. They're simply living life like we're living life and trying to be guided by their faith as we're being guided by our faith the best we know how. 
And until you get to know somebody and you understand the reality versus the way the media is selling papers and internet spots in order to, to rile us against one another, then we just, it's easy to lump them all together and say all Muslims are bad. Okay, now we don't have to agree with Islamic theology or faith. We don't believe that that's what God sent Jesus. He sent Jesus for all of us. And that that's only going to go so far, but Christ is going to go all the way to the Father. But that's not the same thing to say that they're Islamist terrorists. So we, in the mess, we're, we're learning, wait a minute, okay, some of this is based on that, but it's not. They're not uh, representative. We're learning that uh, Hezbollah, ISIS, ISIL, Al-Qaeda, they don't represent everybody who attacks us. Because not every Muslim sanctions the killings of so-called infidels, as these murderers are doing. Whether they target the towers, the twin towers of the World Trade Center and the Pentagon, or they light up nightclubs filled with men and women from the LGBT community. We stand against that. We recognize the satanic source and origin of their murderous plots. And as Americans and as Christ followers in America, we overcome that kind of hatred, not with hatred, but with love, with faith, and with hope. But what we're dealing with in the rampant killings and the police shootings of black lives in our cities and states and the things that are be shown, uh, being shown as, oh, that's racist and motive. This is a test that threatens us from within. This is a test rising up within us as brothers and sisters because we are brothers and sisters in America, whether you're black or yellow or white or red. The whole country is on edge this week, you know, the sides have been drawn up. Rhetoric across the media outlets and social media is, is fueling further divisions between us and them, whoever us and them happen to be. And rogue killings born out of frustration and anger with racism is not helpful, but only furthers the divide between us. You will recall in the first murder of history, Cain took out his brother Abel. You remember the story in the scriptures? And after he had done so, and he thought that he got away with it, his father, his heavenly father, comes to him and asks him, Cain, where is your brother Abel? And do you remember his cynical response? Am, say it with me. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? I want to live alone. Just let me live my life unencumbered by you and your laws and this so-called love for one another. I just want to be who I want to be. And that message has been, that question, and my brother's keeper, has been passed down from generation to generation among those of the world, not of God's people, but those of the world who ask the question, how far do I have to go with this love thing? Who am I permitted to hate? And Jesus comes on the scene and he says, that's the wrong question. Love doesn't ask that kind of question. Love asks, how can I love even my enemies? Love lays down its life for the one that might live instead, if need be. Yes, we are our brother's keeper, not our brother's killer. Now, this test has been faced in the past before. It's been fought and overcome many times in our history. And though we did not eradicate the source of the racism, we have risen as a people, as a nation, as brothers and sisters in America to overcome the fruit, the behavior of our racist attitudes. 
For example, we have outlawed, overturned the demonic system of human slavery where one person can own another person. One person can tell another person how to live, what you can and cannot do, because I'm in charge. We have preserved the union from civil war, a bloody civil war, a messy civil war. And we have enacted legislation that grants civil rights to people of color, rights that they were not permitted to enjoy or exercise before our nation was tested. These victories did not come without a price. An enormous cost of discrimination, of lynchings, of assassinations, of heinous murders and things that are unspeakable have taken place against innocent men and women, boys and girls, And that cost, that price was paid to wake America up, to say, what is going on? Not on our watch. We have got to do stuff differently so that succeeding generations can have a healed nation, not one that we are dealing with. It has woken Americans up that power is an almost impossible commodity to share, and it's not easily let go of. That living on the favored side of the tracks or residing in gated communities with the best schools and the best businesses the country has to offer can serve to blind us to the everyday plight of those who cannot even dream beyond of existence on a day-to-day basis. So what are we going to do? The nation is, is boy, inspiring. It's going to get worse before it gets better, it seems like, right? God has not left us to our own devices. And God is not in heaven wringing his hands saying, oh boy, what do we do now? Even though Americans are saying that and some of us are saying that, but the Lord has given us direction on what to do. And again, in a few moments, we're going to go to our knees and intercede for our nation. We're going to intercede for our uniformed police officers and first responders. We're going to intercede for minorities and those who are living under fear and being discriminated against. We're going to intercede for the various families who have, have lost loved ones this week. We're going to intercede for our nation and for our media outlets and for our church. But what is America going to do as we come under the threat of unraveling from the inside out? Will the church, which acts as a moral conscience to this country, to a free and democratic society, will the church find its voice to lead the nation's citizens and leaders to follow or to allow these testings to produce a truly free, a truly equal citizenry among all people, the kind that will fulfill the dream that Dr. Martin Luther King espoused 40, 50 years ago when he said, I have a dream that my children and their children will get along, will play together, not because of the color of their skin, but the content of their character. That is our charge Because we know what we must do. We know our Father's voice that calls us to advocate for the powerless, to speak up for the voiceless, and to lay down our lives, if need be, that others might live. We are not unaware of the enemy's schemes. The Bible says we are in a war, but our enemy is not the uniformed policeman. Our enemy is not a man with black skin or a Hispanic background. Our enemy is the enemy to our souls that will put fratricide within us and division among us until we say, you know what? We're just going to kill each other because it does nothing but escalate and there are no winners. I want to uh, take you to a video uh, that I, I came across 
This was shot well before anything happened this week. I think this was earlier this spring. This comes out of a library that is available to every one of us. It's called Right Now Media. And uh, Dr. Tony Evans, I don't know if he's a doctor, he's a pastor, uh, Reverend, Dr., Reverend Tony Evans speaks about this whole issue of racism and what we're called to in our day. Take a look. It's about a six-minute video. The issue of race has dominated America since its inception. Our inability to resolve and solve this challenge has been an asterisk on an otherwise uh, impeccable reputation for our country. Divisions show up in race and class and culture that has created wars, created internal conflicts, family divisions, riots, and all manner of other expressions of this horrible divide. What's even worse is that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is often the most segregated hour of the week. While people will play basketball together, while people will do drugs together, while people will do a whole bevy of things together when it comes to racial relationships, especially in the Christian context, they often break up and go their separate ways. So there needed to be a definitive word about race from God's perspective. You see, there are two answers to every question, God's answer and everybody else's, and everybody else is wrong. The reason why this racial divide has not been able to be resolved like it ought to have been resolved a long time ago is because we're not operating from God's point of view or what I call a kingdom perspective on the subject. You know, the Olympics happened uh, every four years and, and our nation, as every nation, is represented. Uh, when we show up, when America shows up at the Olympic Games, people from different races and cultures and classes all converge to demonstrate their individual skills, individual abilities to do the best they can to win a gold medal. When we win a gold medal, they do not ask the gold medalist what your favorite song is. They play the song of the nation of which they represent, the United States of America, because their individual performance is tied to a bigger agenda. They represent another kingdom. They represent this country. If we could view our racial differences as intentional as part of a bigger agenda, what I call the kingdom agenda, the visible demonstration of the comprehensive rule of God over every area of life, then we can play God's song and allow our individual uniquenesses to coalesce for the advancement of gold medals for that kingdom. We're living in a day when people want to not embrace race. They want to talk about it as though everybody should be amalgamated and become uh, uniform in this whole issue of race. But that was never God's design. God's design was for there are always to be racial differences among people. In fact, those differences go all the way into eternity. For example, in Revelations chapter 7, verse 9, the Apostle John said he looked up to heaven, and when he did, he saw people from every nation, every tribe, every kindred, and every tongue. These people in eternity still had their racial differences, and they were visible. That's because God is in the variety and he always wants there to be 
his variation among his people in the various races that he has established. So the goal of racial unity is not sameness, it's oneness. That's why we called our book Oneness Embraced. We want to embrace the differences. We want to celebrate the differences, apart from sin, but the uniquenesses that God has given to each of us, we want to grab them, own them, celebrate them, rejoice in them, and utilize them for the advancement of his kingdom. Now that raises a question. What is unity and why is it important? Unity can be defined as oneness of purpose. It's not sameness of being. It means you're moving toward a common goal. You're moving toward a, a common agenda, utilizing, embracing, recognizing, and appreciating the differences everyone brings to the table. Now, this is no small issue, and here's why. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, prayed a prayer that will blow your mind and that will underscore why this issue of unity, particularly racial unity, is absolutely critical. Jesus says in John 17, verse 21, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. Jesus Christ says unity is absolutely critical if his name is going to be made great and if God's glory is going to be revealed. I don't care what else we do as Christians. If we do not address the unity issue across race and culture and class lines, we're blocking the witness of Christ and we're limiting the reflection of the glory of God. No matter how many church services you go to, how many prayer meetings you attend, if the enemy can bring about division, if the enemy can bring about illegitimate fracturing and fissures in the family of God, our witness becomes a waste of time. This issue of unity must be solved. And it's because it hasn't been solved by God's people and has not yet been solved as it ought to have been by the church that the culture remains in disarray. I want to read a scripture that comes to us from 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 and 4. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God or knowing God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So how do we fight? I'm going to say this very quickly. Three, three weapons that we have at our disposal. One, humility. Humility versus pride. When I read an article in the paper or see a video uh, of some news outlet saying, here's what's going on and here's what's behind it, and then I read the comment section below, I hate that. You know, I love it because I get to know where people are, but it quickly degenerates into people just throwing mud on each other. Humility does not throw mud. <clears throat> Humility comes in and gets quiet. 
and says, I seek to understand. Would you speak? Missionaries across the world right now are saying this to the question, what would you say to Americans who are sending short-term teams to your cultural context to help you in ministry or what have you? And they say, without question, when you come to our country, when you come to our culture for three days, don't talk. Speak nothing, not a word. Just sit and listen. Just watch. Just see the context. Maybe you'll learn something. Maybe you'll grow. Instead of coming with this American attitude that we got this out of the way, here's how you do it. Here's how we do it back home, okay? So if we could apply that as Christ followers across the divide of people who are very different than us or people in different classes, socioeconomically speaking, different cultures, I'm here just to listen and to learn, to walk a mile in your shoes because I don't understand the way that you're responding to the world around you. I don't live in fear the way that you do. Let me learn. Let me learn from you. Secondly, humility is first. Secondly, being peacemakers. To reach across the divide, not to further the divide through vengeance. It's not helpful to continue to to draw sides in the sand and to throw um, sling mud at each other and draw more people onto your side because you're right and they're wrong. That's us and them mentality. Peacemakers, not vengeance mongers. But let me say, there is always a cost involved with peacemaking. Jesus Christ is the prime example. How many people throughout history have been assassinated or taken out because they were trying to bridge the divide? But Jesus is the uh, uh, ultimate example on the cross who says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I I received this in between services. George McLeod said, I simply argue that the cross be raised again at the center of the marketplace as well as on the steeple of the church. I am recovering the claim that Jesus was not crucified in a cathedral between two candles, but on a cross between two thieves. On the town garbage heap. At a crossroads so cosmopolitan, they had to write his title in Hebrew and in Latin and in Greek. At a place where cynics talk smut and thieves curse and soldiers gamble. Because that is where he died. And that is what he died about. And that is where the church ought to be. And what the church should be about. So the second thing is peacemaking. But it comes at a great cost. But the Lord said... If you desire to follow me, then I call you to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. It is the way of death. And thirdly, humility versus pride, that's seeking to understand and listen, peacemaking, even at great sacrifice. And thirdly, hospitality. It's what we've been talking about, and we'll get back to that next Sunday when we finish our series on hospitality. Because hospitality runs through the pages of Scripture as a biggie on God's heart. It is his weapon of dismantling walls that separate us from them. Hospitality. It opens hearts to turn to God. When Jesus told his disciples they'd be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, by Samaria, he meant people who were geographically nearby, but culturally far away. People living in our community, like the international students among us, but also people of a different skin color who live on a different side of town than we do. That's the Samaria. How well are we doing extending hospitality to Gainesville's Samaritans, those from different ethnic, cultural, and religious backgrounds from us? Here's what I want to do to close. I want us to come to the altar. As a church, we don't have all the answers, but we know the one who does, and he's speaking. And he's speaking loudly because he's guiding all history to bring glory to him. 
And it will be a beautiful end, a beautiful end when we're in eternity with brothers and sisters from every conceivable culture and language, things that we don't understand, but God does. And they bring glory to him in a unique way that we can't. And we're a part of that brotherhood and sisterhood. So let's come to the altar and pray. I'm just going to ask folks to come down here and and the rest of us will stay where we are. We'll make this just the house of prayer that it is for all nations. And we'll pray for our uniformed officers. We'll pray for uh, the people that I mentioned earlier. So let's take time to do this. If you'll come, I'll guide us in a time of prayer.